From the American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham, it's Due South on WUNC. I'm Jeff Tabiri. Thanks for joining us. We're spending this hour with Phil Berger, leader of the state Senate, Republican from Rockingham County, the most powerful figure in state politics. On Tuesday, Due South set up the microphones inside his office at the North Carolina General Assembly in downtown Raleigh. The conversation you're about to hear covers a range of topics, 2024, abortion, redistricting, medical marijuana, and why Senator Berger has a stuffed possum in his office. We began, however, with his reactions to recent elections, municipals here, and results that emerged last week in Virginia and Ohio. So I saw the results. Uh, There are a lot of uh, results that I wished would have been different, uh, but uh, as I've kind of dug into uh, some of the data, I, I don't know that what is uh, arising as conventional wisdom about the elections uh, is, uh, is totally accurate. Uh, so, for instance, uh, we're hearing that, uh, that in Virginia there, there was a huge uh, Democratic wave uh, that uh, swept the General Assembly there. Uh, the reality is uh, what you saw was, uh, was a, a change in their state house of, what, two seats? Uh, a small shift. Small shift. And Republicans actually gained in the state Senate, but they didn't take control of the state Senate. Uh, Virginia is a state that, but for the Yunkin election two years ago, uh, had been trending heavily Democratic uh, over time. And so I would say that in Virginia, it's more of a status quo as far as the overall results, uh, even though it does uh, flip control of the, the state house there. Uh, so I, I I think it'd be a mistake for either Republicans or Democrats to read too much into that election. Uh, in uh, in the Ohio situation, uh, we've seen time and time again, even very conservative states, uh, if uh, a referendum on a statewide basis is uh, put to the people that basically said, do you support uh, abortion rights uh, or not, uh, generally you're going to get 60 to 65% uh, of folks saying Yes, they support abortion rights. You saw that in Kansas. Uh, you've seen it in Ohio. So I don't know that that uh, represents any kind of major shift. Uh, I think uh, most folks would say that Ohio still is uh, heavily in the Republican column, not uh, not about to change. Right. If Virginia's trending to the left, Ohio has been trending to the right as we think about the past several election cycles. Yes. I want to chat about constitutional amendments here in a little while, proposals that may or may not be on the ballot in 24 here. But I want to run with two words you just said for a moment, conventional wisdom. And I wonder from your seat how much conventional wisdom, I'm using air quotes, has changed in the last 12, 13, 14 years. Because it feels to me as uh, from my position that like keeping your finger on the political pulse has, has gotten a little more challenging has it gotten harder for you just with, like, the, the various dynamics at play in politics? Yeah, it certainly changed. There's no question about that. And in the Trump era, uh, the, uh, the, the kind of Republican-Democrat, um, I guess, categories that we had come to know and uh, feel comfortable with have changed significantly. So you've got some Republicans who are more adamantly opposed to uh, the former president than, uh, than Democrats. And you've got, uh, in, in the situation that's arising now within the Democratic Party, uh, you've got some Democrats who are uh, growing uh, more opposed to uh, President Biden as, as a person. I think they still like the policies, but I think uh, they have some real concerns about, uh, about his competence. Legislative session. 
dare I say, just ended. You all are going to take a break for a few months here. Uh, Let's think back on the legislative session of 2023. Uh, I want to get to some things that were left on the table in a moment. But from your perspective, what are you uh, most proud, happiest to see have been enacted into law? Yeah, so I think the adoption of the state budget with uh, the uh, significant uh, money that uh, went through the state budget uh, for infrastructure, for uh, health care, uh, for um, education. I think all of those are, are uh, critically important. I think the tax reductions that are written into law uh, are something that will continue to provide uh, benefit to the state of North Carolina as uh, as we go forward. And uh, I think the continuation of our uh, policies of uh, making sure that we have uh, not not just a balanced budget, but a budget that is balanced with significant reserves. We have uh, now $5 billion in our rainy day fund. We have a number of other reserve uh, pots that are uh, scattered throughout the budget. Senate Leader Phil Berger, Republican of Rockingham County here on Due South. Medicaid has been approved. It is being implemented December 1. Uh, Should it have happened sooner? Did it happen at the right time? You what do you, how are you with, with Medicaid now, finally, my word, finally, uh, being implemented? So I think the important thing is that uh, it has been approved and it is being implemented. That, that really is the most important part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do think that it was something that was going to take a while for us to get to this point. Uh, when uh, Republicans were put in charge of the General Assembly as a result of the 2010 election, we had a traditional Medicaid system that was broken. Uh, from year to year, what we would see is a budget adopted that uh, had a spend number for Medicaid, mm-hmm. and uh, during the the year, the spending would would be off, and you know by hundreds of millions of dollars, and so. It was necessary, uh, if you're talking about making sure that we have a sound budget, to get that uh, resolved before we decided uh, that it was the right thing to do to add another half a million people to the uh, uh, to the rolls. And so uh, it was going to take some time. The other thing that was going to take some time is to uh, provide the confidence for our members that the federal government was not going to renege on the initial promise, which was that the federal government would pay for 90% of the coverage for people in the expansion population. And so we saw uh, real changes in terms of Congress and the presidency in Washington, and yet no change as far as uh, as that uh, payment. Uh, right. And so, uh, so I think those things you had to fix the system. Uh, you had to uh, instill some confidence that uh, we weren't going to be left holding the bag, so to speak. Uh, and then uh, as time went on, it became readily apparent that even though a lot of folks in the expansion population uh, are people that are able-bodied uh, yet not working, and uh, so Republicans tend to uh, be opposed to providing a benefit to someone who's not uh, helping themselves, so to speak. Uh, the reality is that the bulk of folks that would be covered in the uh, in the expansion population are people that were actually working 30 or more hours per week. And I think as that became uh, more apparent to uh, to our members, it became something that uh, that, that helped us uh, be supportive of the expansion. 
Redistricting happens theoretically once a decade. It's happened many times since you all moved in. Uh, you did redistricting recently. I want to at least ask you this, and we can spend a little bit of time on redistricting, but as you and I chat here on a Tuesday morning, no lawsuits have yet been filed. Do you know something that I don't know? Why haven't any lawsuits been filed? Hey, you'll have to ask the Democrats about that. Uh, we fully expected them to file suit. Uh, as the ink was drying on the legislation, and yet uh, they they have not. Uh, I don't know if uh, they've decided that uh, the maps that we've drawn are are maps that are, um, if not immune, but uh, difficult to challenge. Uh, I suspect that very well may be the case. Uh, whether they are having some difficulty finding plaintiffs, uh, whether uh, they can't uh, figure out which court they want to file it in because they have some questions about which judge uh, or judges might be uh, selected to uh, to hear the case. Um, State uh, versus federal and yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, so uh, you'll have to ask them and when you get an answer, please let me know All what right, it is. I will do that. Um, 2024. This is a serious question. Are you sick of Donald Trump? Uh, no. Um, okay. I... I um, I think he's going to end up being the nominee of the Republican Party. You do? I, you think I, that? I do. Okay. I, I, I think if um, the situation had been that there was just one challenger uh, within the, uh, the Republican primary, uh, it, it may be that, uh, the, that that challenge could have been successful. But I think the fact that you've got, it looks like maybe three folks that, uh, sure. that, that have- Sure, situation, yeah. Right. And yet uh, Trump continues to poll at 50 to 55 percent. Um, I, I just don't see how he's not going to be uh, the nominee. And uh, while I may uh, have some real quarrels with maybe how uh, he speaks about things and, uh, and how he does things, uh, I think the, the proof uh, of uh, the uh, advantages of most of the policies that were adopted while he was president uh, and the change uh, since uh, since the uh, Biden administration has come in uh, leads me to believe that we would be much, much better off uh, from a policy standpoint uh, if uh, he had won a re-election in 2020. You don't have to look too far to find disaffected conservatives, people who have uh, distanced themselves from the party or uh, who have just been you know, outspoken and critical of, of former President Trump. I'm curious if you think his, we'll call it a presumptive nomination, if we're in agreement there, presumptive nomination in 2024 is good for your party in in the, the long run, the, the two, six, 10-year window? Or if you, like some of these disaffected conservatives, have concerns about what it will mean for the Republican Party if Donald Trump is again at the top of the ticket in 2024? Yeah, so I think from, uh, from a uh, winning elections uh, perspective, there's no question that the, uh, the Trump uh, candidacy, the Trump presidency, has harmed Republican candidates uh, in certain areas. Uh, and uh, yet, uh, it's also no question that the Trump candidacy and the Trump presidency has actually solidified uh, Republican uh, wins in, in other areas. So I, I think it's probably too early to tell long term, uh, longer term. Uh, I think in the short term, if uh, Trump is the nominee, there are going to be some districts uh, that we are going to have a harder time winning uh, in the state Senate. 
uh, than we would if there was another uh, nominee at the top of the ticket. Um, However, I think that given the state as a whole, I think North Carolina will will be carried by by a Trump uh, ticket, uh, and uh, I think we will continue to get majorities in the state Senate in the state. Donald Trump, of course, carried the state in 2016 and in 2020. The only Democrat to carry the state since 1976 was uh, President-elect uh, Barack Obama in 2008. And I should note, he did it by a mere 14,000 votes. Just the, the backdrop here is that Republicans have won the state pretty consistently in presidential elections for 47, going on 48 years. Uh, what is your thought process? How much time have you spent thinking about political violence in 2024? Is that something that is on your radar? Is it something you're worried about? Is, is that something that meets your ear as hyperbole? It is something I'm concerned about, and uh, it uh, it is uh, something that I think uh, needs to be uh, thought about more and uh, addressed uh, more aggressively. I, I, for example, the uh, the blocking of the highway in Durham a couple of weeks ago uh, as part of a demonstration uh, in favor of uh, Hamas. Uh, I think um, the lawful demonstrations are certainly something that uh, we uh, have long recognized as part of our uh, system. However, when uh, a demonstration uh, breaks the law uh, and uh, those, uh, the, those demonstrators are not dealt with at that time, I think you encourage uh, a repeat and probably an uh, expansion of uh, that sort of demonstration. So that that concerns me. I think we saw some of it uh, in the riots that took place uh, in the wake of the George Floyd uh, killing, and um, and so yes, I, I'm I'm very concerned about that. And we of course saw it on January sixth as well. Correct. I, I, the people got out of hand on uh, on January the sixth, and there were uh, there, there were uh, things that needed to be dealt with. Uh, I. Uh, uh, I, I, I do think, uh, in many respects, uh, and one of the things I'm concerned about is kind of the double standard that uh, appears to be in place in terms of how folks are being dealt with uh, in the context of um, uh, political demonstrations that turn violent, and uh, that uh, that is something that uh, most Americans don't uh, really like, uh, that some folks are treated differently for uh, the same type of conduct. Sure. And my, I guess my only brief context here, and please push back on it, is that you just mentioned three examples. And to my mind, they're, they're quite different, right? We have people sitting down on a highway blocking traffic at rush hour. We have um, people who are looting businesses, uh, some of whom carried weapons, some of whom did not. And we also have people storming the U.S. Capitol um, with all kinds of tactical gear on. Like th- those are just, I- I'm not weighing in on what's best or worst or whatever, but those are three very different uh, types of demonstrations. Is that fair? Um, uh, yes, in a way, but I would say two are very similar the, um, uh, in terms of uh, the destruction of property and uh, the, the, the violence on the part of the demonstrators. And they sure, were, the they capital were, and the businesses. The capital and the businesses, sure. and they were treated uh, radically differently. I mean, the police stood down here in Raleigh uh, when, uh, when the rioting was taking place here in the wake of George Floyd. Uh, so, uh, so I think, uh, again, I, uh, that, that is something that, uh, historically, uh, Americans have not uh, seen as um, the American way, so to speak, that you treat 
uh, folks differently based on their political views and the reasons for uh, their their demonstration. You're seeking consistency. Absolutely. I want to ask you about the issue of abortion. We spoke briefly about Ohio. Theoretically, three-fifths of lawmakers in this building and the General Assembly could vote to put forth a constitutional amendment to voters next year on the issue of abortion, reproductive freedom, whatever terminology you would like to use. Why will or will that not happen? I uh, don't think it will happen because we dealt with that issue in the long session and we dealt with it uh, in a way that uh, I believe is consistent with what the overall uh, views of the people in the state of North Carolina um, uh, uh, represent. Sticking with the thread of consistency here, five years ago, five years ago, there were six constitutional amendments on the ballot. One of them was for hunting and fishing. And I remember at the time there were some critics that said, why are we, why are we amending the state constitution to, to codify hunting and fishing? Well, you made your case and you did and the voters approved it. I guess what I'm wondering is why if, – if you all did it a few years ago for hunting and fishing, why not do it for something that is as, I think, significant to so many different people in a wide political range as abortion? Uh, again, because uh, I believe uh, we have dealt with uh, that issue in the context of the legislation that we have passed. And so uh, it is something that uh, does not require, in my opinion, does not require us to, uh, to put forth as a constitutional amendment. Uh, and uh, if three-fifths of the members of the General Assembly desired to do that, then obviously that's what would happen. Little context, fair or unfair, please push back. I think it's seven now referenda has, has taken place, have taken place across the country. The odds are, based on polling, if polling is to be trusted, if a referendum was to be put on the ballot here, it would probably go against the wishes of conservative ideology. And thus, that doesn't make it a particularly appealing thing for you to put on the ballot. Is that fair context? I, I don't necessarily agree with that. Okay. I think part of the problem uh, is uh, the uh, specificity that uh, you can put into a referendum, a constitutional amendment, uh, is something that uh, the, the nuances uh, with reference to, uh, to, to policy on abortion uh, is better dealt with uh, at the legislative level. Um, you know, we've, uh, we've, we've heard the Democrats talk about how they want to, quote, codify Roe versus Wade. Uh, and uh, so that sounds uh, pretty good as a, as a talking point or as uh, sort of a soundbite. But the reality is that uh, courts uh, in this country spent the better part of 50 years trying to figure out exactly what Roe versus Wade meant. And so the idea that uh, you can uh, put uh, on a ballot something that uh, deals with all that nuance, deals with all of those uh, uh, potential exceptions and uh, rationales uh, is not something that, uh, that uh, in, in my view, uh, really lends itself to uh, an amendment. And I believe that in each instance where uh, you've had that uh, statewide referendum uh, that, that there's some sort of initiative process within mm -hmm. those states. That, that, that is correct. There's a, that's important context. We have ballot initiative states, and I, but I would note, and then I'll move on to other topics, you also have put a, a constitutional amendment on the ballot of, of something that has a lot of layers and nuance and voter ID, right? Like voter ID is well, a remember, pretty nuanced topic. Uh, 
Yes, but remember the constitutional amendment uh, left it to the General Assembly to deal with the specifics of that. Fair enough. Sorry. Yeah, so, thought. Yeah. so if you were going to put on the ballot, yeah. should the General Assembly uh, deal with the issue of abortion uh, and uh, protect abortion rights, uh, I, I would argue that that's something that we have already done with the legislation. Phil Berger, Republican of Rockingham County here on Due South. And uh, Senator Berger was in the minority for, I believe, five terms. Then he's been in the majority for seven terms. You've presided over the Senate uh, since that historic wave of conservative victories in 2010. Talk to me about how much longer you, you, you plan to keep this post, you desire to keep this post. Uh, so I'm going to run for re-election to the state Senate. Um, filing period opens on, I believe, December the 4th. Uh, and unless, so, unless the courts block it, but right. yes. So yes. I, I will file for re-election uh, if uh, I'm successful in that uh, and uh, we maintain majorities in the North Carolina Senate. I'm going to ask my colleagues to um, allow me to continue as the president pro tem. Uh, beyond that, I uh, have not made any plans and don't have any specific um, idea of uh, whether I'll run after that or how many times after that mm -hmm. or run for something else. I believe and my history is not all that fresh here, but uh, former leader of the state Senate, Mark Baznight, holds the the record, again, using air quotes here, for longest serving uh, a Senate pro tem. Is that part of the calculus here? Or is that something you're thinking about? Do you care about that or that that's just another variable in many? It's not something that uh, would have any bearing on any decision I made. Uh, as we think about next year, there are, I guess, there are just several things I, I want to tick through quickly if we can. There were three things that were left on the, uh, the table this legislative session, casinos, medical marijuana, and ICE, uh, a bill pertaining to sheriffs in cooperation with immigration. If you would, if you dare, uh, prioritize those three for me as we think about 2024 if those are high priority items and what you think might come first, second, or third. So if, 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 if that's the universe of what we're talking about, it's those not, three items, but yeah. uh, I, I would say that the, uh, probably the medical marijuana uh, would be uh, at the top because the Senate has actually passed that uh, and uh, the, the House is not. Uh, the ICE uh, measure, I believe the House passed something or, or they Correct. proposed if something. Correct, memory serves, yes. Um, so that would probably be the second, and then uh, the, uh, the the gaming issue would uh, would probably be third. Uh, again, if that's the universe of what we're it's talking about. It's not the universe. I just put you inside a box. So you take your box over here off the uh, the counter and give me three more uh, that you – three more – bills, pieces of policy that you would like to see here in 2024? Uh, so probably the most important policy is uh, that we uh, we continue to make sure our budget's balanced and our uh, fiscal house is in order. Uh, secondly, uh, I, I want to see some results from the initiatives that we've uh, in, uh, initiated uh, in the context of uh, reading at in elementary school, you know, we've uh, we've we finally got everybody on the same page uh, with the science of reading. Uh, we have uh, funded uh, the letters training for our elementary school teachers, uh, and I'm anxiously awaiting the results uh, with uh, the expectation that uh, that we'll see some uh, some improvement there. But uh, things that we might need to do to uh, to bolster that it's uh, it's been a priority of mine for uh, for a very long period of time. Uh, there is no reason that uh, we uh, 
cannot, there's no reason that uh, our kids are not reading at grade level by the time they uh, finish the third grade. And we've got to, to make sure that that takes place. Uh, failure there, in my opinion, is, is, is the worst failure uh, we can have as far as education is concerned. And then the third thing is uh, we've, uh, we've got to make sure that uh, down the road, long term, uh, we uh, we have adequately addressed the issue of funding for transportation infrastructure. So those are three things that I think are um, extremely important that we need to make sure that we keep our eyes on. Phil Berger, your guest here on Due South on North Carolina Public Radio, chatting about possible legislation that will come up in the short legislative session in 2024. I'm curious about housing policy and any reforms that you might have an appetite for. I know that on one side there is a, there's a pro-development camp, and I, I think that some of the recent election results speak for themselves uh, as it pertains to candidates who uh, are, are favorable to, to, to that side of things. I also think about, I realize it's not something like rent control, but I realize there's, there's code in the state that limits um, what municipalities can require of developers. If they, if they say, hey, you know, there's 100 units in there, we've got to make 10 of them or 30 of them or whatever, however many of them, below market value. The question is this. I'm curious if you look at the housing situation and you have an appetite for any particular reforms. Yeah, so there's no question that housing is an issue that uh, continues to... Um, rise to the, the to the top. I, I was I was really interested in some of the municipal elections where uh, where housing was uh, was an issue, and I was somewhat surprised that uh, a lot of the the candidates, mostly Democrats, uh, in in those municipal uh, elections, were, were talking about supply uh, of housing. Uh, sort of uh, the argument, the uh, fairly conservative argument that supply and demand. Uh, is something that, uh, that that needs to be paid attention to. So uh, I think uh, to the extent that we have uh, in statute uh, or in uh, adopted policy impediments uh, to the supply of housing, uh, we need to look seriously at trying to, uh, to, to throttle those back or curtail them uh, in some way. Uh, I, I do think that uh, ultimately the supply of housing uh, uh, will catch up and that should uh, affect the, the cost of housing. Uh, there's no question that in places where you have a lot of people moving in, North Carolina is one of those places uh, at uh, the present time, uh, that uh, it, it will take a while for uh, some equilibrium to um, impact the market. Uh, I'm going to move to just some, some kind of quick hitter questions here. Uh, I want you to just hit me with the first thing that comes to mind, your knee jerk, and we can expound on it or you can expound on it uh, a little bit if you want. Uh, Senate Leader Phil Berger, Republican of Rockingham County here on Due South. Better role, father or grandfather? Grandfather. Why? Uh, because it's more fun. <laughs> it's more fun. Uh, you, you don't have the same responsibilities. Uh, last book you read. You know, I've, I've gotten into reading uh, detective books, mm -hmm. and so I've been reading the Harry Bosch series uh, okay. written by Michael Conley. Uh, so I'm uh, in the process of uh, reading one called The Black Box. Last time you and I sat down, you and I have done this several times over the years, I asked you about a trip you'd like to take or a place you'd like to go. You mentioned Vietnam. I did. Have you been there? Have not. Have not. Would still like to go. Okay. That's uh, good that that hasn't changed, I suppose. Right. Would uh, would 
like to go to Australia as well. Maybe I can do both of them at one trip. Have you taken any vacations in the last year? Yeah, yes. Uh, we, uh, we were fortunate uh, enough to be able to go to Sicily last fall. Um, and um, uh, my wife and I uh, were able to uh, do a cruise uh, late August. Are you a seafood eater? Do you have a favorite seafood? Uh, I'm not crazy about seafood. I'm uh, more of a beef eater. Uh, I'm looking at three possums here in your office. One is, is, it looks as though it once had a heartbeat. The other two look like they could be uh, for my two and a half year old daughter. Uh, tell us briefly, if you would, about the, um, the, the possum that sits behind you. So the possums uh, are a remnant of the battle that took place uh-huh. uh, uh, shortly after we took a majority, uh-huh. uh, where uh, uh, certain folks decided that uh, the people in Western North Carolina who on New Year's Eve like to drop a possum instead of an acorn or a, a piece of jewelry or uh, whatever else, and uh, the uh, the regulatory folks uh, basically felt that that was something that uh, should not take place. And so we passed what we refer to as the Possum Right to Work Act. Uh-huh. And, uh, and so uh, that possum was uh, actually uh, loaned to us by a taxidermist in West, Western North Carolina. Just to be clear here, the possums that were dropped on New Year's Eve were alive and were inside of a cage. Inside of a cage and were set free once, uh, once the, uh, uh, the, the ceremony was completed. And was that possum part of those New Year's Eve celebrations? Uh, no, I believe that's one that couldn't quite make it across the road. Uh, name? Uh, some people have called him Lord Rockingham. <laughs> Do you call him Lord? Did you give him that moniker? Uh, no, or that uh, moniker? I, I really don't, uh, don't have a name for him. Fair enough. Phil Berger has been the leader of the North Carolina Senate since January of 2011, and he's been your guest here on Due South. Senator, thank you. Thank you. I spoke with Rockingham County Republican Phil Berger inside his office at the General Assembly earlier this week. Remember, if you ever miss a portion of our program, would like to hear a segment again, or, (coughs) hint, hint, think that passing it along to a friend or family member is a worthwhile endeavor, well, please visit our website, DueSouthRadio.org. Cold El Charco produced today's episode. Due South is also produced by Stacia Brown and Rachel McCarthy. Our technical director is Denarius Thomas. Aaron Kiever is the executive producer. For my partner in radio crime, Leonita Inge, my name is Jeff Tabiri. Please join us again tomorrow morning at 10. <laughs>